So Mick, what I'd like to do this morning, so understand a little bit more from the investor perspective, you know, what you're doing, you know, where where things are moving to. Thor, uh, well, we're a, a company that's um, managed out of Australia. We are an English company. Uh, yeah, on aim, yeah. Uh, we've been about uh, since 2004 or thereabouts. Um, and we were incorporated to take on and turn Molly Hill from a, a tungsten project in the middle of Australia from uh, uh, from an exploration project to one ready for and into uh, development. That's taken a long time, um, but uh, we think now we are we are frightfully close. Along the way, we've picked up a couple of other projects uh, that we like. We've picked them up at um, at what we believe are, are very low buy-end or valuations. Again, but we have acquired projects that don't need a whole bunch of exploration spend. We have acquired projects that already have resource or are resourced ready um, so that uh, the exploration risk is taken out of it. Initially with Molly Hill, um, as I said, we've been at, at Molly Hill at this for, for some time now. I, I joined the company uh, almost 11 years ago. What's your background? I'm an accountant, but I've been in the uh, mining industry since um, 1974. I uh, worked for a couple of uh, quite large outfits. Uh, Bougainville Copper, part of what is now Rio, uh, in those days CRA, uh, Western Mining as a mine accountant in various remote locations and have been in the, uh, the junior mining space probably now for about 20 years as a, uh, as a company secretary and then as a uh, uh, director, chairman, promoter. Um, it evolves as you move through time. Can you just sort of take us through who, who else is on the board or who else is on the management team in terms of, you know, uh, experience clearly, but the ability to drive the company from where it is today to where you want it to go? My right-hand man is a guy called Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas is a mining engineer um, who has managed and run small and large mining projects in a whole bunch of places in the world, most notably uh, he was general manager of Olympic Dam um, for a period of time, um, which is, as you probably know, uh, the world's largest known uranium resource and uh, one of the probably about the number six uh, copper uh, resource on the globe. He ran that for some time. Uh, also on the board, um, we have uh, Alistair Middleton, a London-based geologist who has uh, done a bunch of work for... Um, uh, in, in the exploration uh, business, he worked for uh, Standard Bank for some time, evaluating projects for um, for project finance. Um, and um, until about sometime early to mid last year, he was a um, he was a director of a, another London listed outfit, who uh, who happened to be our largest shareholder. Also, we have uh, Richard Brady. Richard is a um, is a, a, a geologist, uh, our exploration manager, um, senior exploration guy who's worked for um, a bunch of uh, Australian miners, uh, underground and open cut uh, in resource in resource development. In terms of where you position the company now, you're you're moving sort of from exploration through to what? We've never really been an exploration company. 
we've been a company that has acquired advanced projects that might need some exploration dollars thrown at to, uh, to to round them out, but we have acquired projects that uh, are, that have the potential or the capacity, with a bit of love, to be uh, taken into development. Right. And so, in each case, we have uh, acquired projects that have known mineralisation, and in uh, and in the case of uh, the one in um, uh, Nevada, uh, quite a large uh, resource already. We just happened to buy it from an outfit uh, a company who wanted to uh, uh, to go and uh, use their shareholders' money to make games for mobile phones uh, when that uh, when that burst was on. Right. So we have a, we have so we have projects that uh, uh, are all in the development phase. None of which, none of them, in the exploration phase. That doesn't right. mean there's not exploration money to spend, but uh, the exploration risk is taken out. Perhaps, as an investment, from an investment point of view, some of the exploration sex appeal has also been removed because, um, you know, the the ten bagger from uh, from uh, finding a hundred meters and six grams, uh, for example, sure. uh, that's. That's not what we're about. So just in, ter in terms of the people working specifically on the development component, then that's going to be Dave Thomas and Richard Brady specifically on, on yep. not necessarily on the ground, because where, where are they based? They're based in Adelaide with me. Oh, they are. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I noticed Ray Ridge, the CFO. Ray Ridge is a CFO and company secretary. He's not uh, late. Ray's a, uh, an ex-chartered accountant with Arthur Andersons and worked for a couple of large construction companies as a financial controller along the way. And he's now, a, um, uh, I guess, a, uh, a guy who does CFO and company secretarial roles for four or five um, listed companies in Australia. Thank you for going through the, um, the, the team there for me. Um, Justin, I think we, we, we've got a bit of information with regards to the market cap. What's the market cap at the moment? Um, we're, we're probably probably around um, 10 million pounds. Uh, on a good day, we've, uh, we're a bit higher. On a, on a very bad day, we're, we've dropped a little, we'll probably drop a little lower. But um, so what, we've got a bit over 700 million shares, and uh, I haven't got well. I guess I can uh, look at it on my phone and find out what the uh, how we're going at the minute. But um, We've been as high as about 22, 23 million pounds um, uh, 11 months ago. Uh, the markets haven't been kind to uh, some of us, and uh, I guess we're uh, uh, we're included in that. And uh, so, just so just in, in terms of the, you mentioned shareholders earlier. Um, like, who, who are the? Are you institutional, retail? I mean, how, what do your biggest shareholders look like? The um, our, our largest shareholder is Middle Tiger. Uh, uh, AIM-listed uh, company uh, over there in London. Mm -hmm. They uh, own about 10-11%. Right. Yep. Then there are, um, then there's a guy called Paul Johnson, who's a relatively well-known London investor and promoter, mm -hmm. um, who's got about 5%. Yep. And then there's me with, uh, with about 5%. With just right. under five percent, right? And then the rest of the directors have about uh, about a two percent between them, and the rest is a bunch of um, there's a group of uh, thirty or forty uh, UK-based uh, shareholders who broadly follow Paul Jobs. And they what do they what do they hold? They're an investing group. Uh, they're pretty a loose investing group. 
Okay, and, and they're sitting on what? And they would hold, well, it's pretty hard to know because they, uh, you know, they trade as mm. one expects they would. Yep. Um, and they're, most of them are, uh, they're finance, most of them are held through nominee companies. I would expect they hold between 15 and 20% between. Right, and then I guess the, the there's no strategic investors there per se other than... No. Right, and the rest, therefore, would probably be UK and Australian retail. Yeah, largely UK. Um, Australian retail um, is probably 20, 25% of the total. Okay. And I'm... And I'm uh, and then if I'm a 5% shareholder, I, I'm, I'm the largest, one of the largest Australian shareholders by, by fair margin. Our, our broker, these, the broker, the, um, this investing group comes through is SI Capital out of uh, Godalming in Surrey. I don't know if you know those guys. I do. SI Capital, I do. I assume they've got a little piece of this, have they, for raising money for you? Well, um, our model over the last two or three years with uh, these guys has been to... Uh, do a placing to them at market, at zero discount to market, yeah. but uh, they but they get a warrant with uh, with the shares for either one for two or, or one for one, yeah. depending on the deal we strike. Normally at about a fifty percent premium to market, and so that's the uh, so that's the effective discount for them. Um, and they will raise a fair bit of money out through them on that basis, and um, and there's been a fair bit of warrant conversion going on in in recent times. I think these picked up about best part of £600,000 um, in the couple of months leading up to Christmas out of warrant conversion. Right. Um, which, was, which means we're reasonably well cashed up. But, um, um, but uh, yeah, um, people have got some investors or some on the bulletin boards are a bit annoyed by the fact that um, at the time we had, our market, well, we had a share price of about 2p and uh, people were selling down to one point. Three one point four to uh, because they're exercising uh, warrants at one point two. And what was their hold period? I mean, were they were they restricted for a period, or were they able to sell straight away? Uh, no, they're not restricted. No. no. Okay. Okay. You talk about the share, the um, market cap being around sort of twenty two, twenty three million in the beginning of last year. I mean, what what do you think has caused yep. that drop apart from the the, the the usual you know junior mining stocks being uh, less interesting than cannabis and uh, Bitcoin and you know etc. What would you put it down to? But it, it's not it's not just one thing. Um, I have to confess that uh, I think we overpromised and underdelivered in terms of timing of uh, release of the feasibility study on Molly Hill. Yeah. Um, people were expecting that, um, and we had indicated it would be ready well before we finally got it out. Yeah. Um, and you get marked down for, uh, if people say, sure. if you say it's going to be ready in um, March, April, and it takes till August, well, people are going to get impatient. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's what happened. Um, and um, I, I have to cop the blame for that. And what was, the, what was the problem that, though? Why, why was it delayed? Look, a bunch of things, uh, a bunch of work being done by uh, various consultants just took longer than, um, than, uh, than had been promised to us. Okay. Uh, we should have anticipated that, but um, uh, but and, and we did to some extent, but uh, we didn't factor it in nearly enough. If you say we're doing a feasibility study and don't uh, give people a um, a rough timeline of when it'll be out, mm. um, you won't get thanked for that either. So um, 
uh, perhaps we were, but we were in the end we were too ambitious about the timescale. Okay, and what are the other major Catalyst events coming up this year? Events coming up this year. Um, in the first instance, um, it's related to an uh, to an acquisition we made uh, during the course of 2019, where uh, our flagship Molly Hill uh, deposit has about 30 k's away. Uh, about 13 outcropping tungsten deposits. They've been known about for well over 40 years, and I've been trying to get my grubby little hands on them for the last six and a half. And finally, uh, during the course of the last year, we um, we did a deal to acquire 40% interest in uh, those tenements and exploration management. Um, 30 kilometres away from where we plan to build the Molly Hill plant, uh, we have uh, well, these are, are known uh, tungsten deposits because they outcrop at surface. Uh, have largely not been drilled, and any drilling or exploration work done on them dates back to the 1970s. So uh, we're now going through the process of getting uh, clearance from the traditional owners to go and get on that land and drill, which process you must do in Australia, as I'm sure you're aware. And we would hope to drill there in the first quarter of this year, so February, March. Okay. I've been saying February for some time. Yep. I still don't have uh, approval from the Aboriginal Areas Protection Authority as of today, so it might be more like March than February. So, um, but I, but I know there, I know the process is underway. That's, That's pretty exciting for us, right? Because because it turns uh, Molly Hill from a seven-year underground mine. Uh, plus a couple of years of, open, of sorry, seven-year open cut mine for, with a couple of years of underground afterwards, to more like a dozen or so years of uh, open cut mining, um, and adds a little add, and adds not just tungsten to our tungsten and uh, molybdenum suite of products at um, at Molly Hill. It also adds copper. Right. Uh, drilling those and a successful drilling outcome there, we think is uh, is is going to be terrific upside for the company. The next catalyst, and um, and perhaps before or, or during that period, is finance for Molly Hill, uh, where we believe uh, that what? sometime during the uh, the first half of this year we will get project finance for Molly Hill. How much cash are you sitting on at the moment? Cash, um, Aussie uh, sterling, about one point three million pounds. And where, when does that see you through to? Um, uh, late third quarter, early fourth quarter. Okay, and then you're going to you're talking about a raise now. I mean, what are you? How much are you looking to raise? We're not looking to raise at all. You're not. So, so I, I misunderstood not. when you said um, you're you're financing. What what did you mean? We're looking. We're, we're, oh, sorry, we're looking for project finance for our pro, uh, for Molly Hill. Right. Sorry, and Molly Hill has a project finance requirement of forty three million US. Right. That's so that's, that's to build the operation. But we're not looking for finance for, we're not looking to do a raise for, uh, uh, to keep the lights on to uh, pay the Nomad and um, and, right. and right. carry on with uh, the right. bit of exploration and other activities you do to keep the company going. That's, you know, that, Specific that, that project finance for Molly Hill. Okay, got yeah. it. Understood. So that's 43 million. And yeah. so what's, what's the timing on that particular component? I would hope in the first half of this year. You know, we've been uh, we engaged uh, Argent Partners out of uh, out of London um, in November or thereabouts uh, to do that. They've uh, 
they've been working on an information on their own version of the information memorandum and the uh, financial model that uh, complements ours and roughly gets the same sort of numbers. So uh, yeah, I guess that validates what we've done. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, they're out now um, um, <clears throat> talking to a whole bunch of people, some of whom um, we've said, well, you should talk to these guys, and some of whom um, you know they have access to outside of our network. Um, if you think the process is going to take two or three months, well, you're being foolish. If you think, uh, but you know, I think five or six is, is probably uh, from now is probably doable. Where now that they've done virtually the um, the bulk of the um, uh, the setup work that they needed to do to get started. Mm, okay. Okay. And I mean, what's what's their what's the, what's the general feeling about? Obviously, tungsten is very strategic mineral. Um, What's the demand been like in the last year and in price in the market? I mean, I'm sort of not uh, quite up to date on that. The, uh, the last couple of years has, um, well, tungsten's very volatile. Hmm. Um, and we must uh, acknowledge that. The price, it's, it's priced in metric ton units, hmm. which is 10 kilos of viable uh, tungsten trioxide, not even the metal, yep. um, which is uh, what it is. But if I take it back to kilos, um, uh, tungsten in early 2016 was about uh, $16.50 a kilo. Yeah. It went up to, uh, in about uh, June last year, of about $35 a kilo. Yeah. It's now about $27.28. Um, and, uh, and, and we would get um, tw uh, roughly 80% of that price because that's the price of a downstream product from the concentrate that we would produce. So we would get 80% of this, what is known as the APT price. And what's the route to market for tungsten? I mean, where's that going? Who's buying it? Um, tungsten's the hardest metal there is. It's sure. um, if, you, uh, if, you, if you think of uh, steel as being hard, but you want to punch through steel or drill through rock, yep. you need to get a bit of tungsten uh, in the system or, or, or coat it on top. Um, uh, it's there is some tech use, but um, it's also in uh, in wear parts. If you think of a uh, uh, a bit of machinery where you've got bearings under pressure being moved around um, backwards and forwards, there's a bit of tungsten in those bearings because they're hard and extraordinarily wear resistant. So it's it's an industrial metal. Right, um, and and the and the main buyer in the market is is who at the moment? It's it's relatively. Uh, evenly distributed around the globe. Uh, China, um, big user of tungsten, but also by far the largest producer. producer yeah. About 75% of the world. Right, right. Um, uh, then the rest is um, relatively evenly distributed between, uh, between North America, Europe, and uh, places like Japan and South Korea, uh, etc. And, and given, the, so, given the volatility of tungsten pricing, I mean, how that's I, I imagine directly correlated to um, you know usage. Um, so the biggest user being China, biggest producer being China. Are they are they some way controlling the market? Does that make it difficult for you, or are you seeing a sort of smooth transition over the next five? Well, certainly well, like seven a, years. There's something of an opportunity. There's a whole bunch of people around the globe. Uh, in the US, um, Department of the Interior, for example has classified tungsten as a critical commodity. And the US produces no tungsten at all domestically. Uh, they recycle a bit, but there are no tungsten mines in North America that operate right now. 
Right, so that's a strategic yeah. strategic uh, mineral for them, presumably military. Yeah, uh, well, it, it does have military uses as well. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, they don't particularly want to source so much of their tungsten products from China. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, Europe is more or less self-sufficient between um, um, uh, between the tungsten produced on the Iberian Peninsula in Austria mm. and uh, and also in uh, in recycling. Mm. Uh, about fifty percent of Europe's uh, tungsten is uh, uh, demand is satisfied by tungsten recycling. Um, so they. But there is there is still a deficit, and they are looking for alternative sources of supply. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, and then uh, South Korea, Japan, other parts of uh, Asia still use uh, still use tungsten, and some of those would rather buy from people other than other than China. And then there's US, which is uh, which believe it or not is riddled with tungsten deposits, but there are none of them that are close to development. Right, right. So investors should feel comfortable. I mean, obviously, strategic minerals are very important, um, but investors should feel comfortable about pricing going forward, would you say? Or is this the same volatility expected? Look, I, I, I hesitate to, uh, to forecast metal prices, but um, mm. the general belief is that... Uh, and. Uh, is that tungsten is is going to at least hold its own for the next five years or so. Uh, the, uh, the it it will probably go up. Uh, Roskill is saying it'll probably go up in a uh, for the next two or three, and then might settle back a bit. Um, but they say that overall there will be a two uh, percent uh, growth in annual demand, two to two point three percent growth in annual demand uh, for the next ten years. Wow. Uh, now, as soon as someone like that says, says makes that statement, obviously it's going to be wrong. But they they are better placed than yeah. uh, people and like you and I to uh, exactly to, to make that call. And I guess that's not something you can control. But but talking about the things that you can control in terms of your business and where where do you see the value creation coming from? You know, what are you doing for investors or potential investors to kind of drive? You know, market market cap or enterprise value, however you want to measure this, but ultimately share price for investors. What are what are the yeah. core components? What we what we've been doing um, for a start with Molly Hill is uh, doing a feasibility on something that, uh, if you believe our numbers, and I certainly do because I had a fair hand in the development of them, we will be uh, one of the lowest cost tungsten producers on the globe. But meaning what? Uh, what? What is what is your cost? Meaning. Um, we're going to be producing um, uh, tungsten trioxide or shearlite uh, concentrate uh, for about $100 a metric ton unit or $10 a kilo. That's US or Australian? US. US. US, okay. Does that put you in the sort of top quartile in terms of cost production? Uh, the, the, bottom, the bottom quartile is largely made up of those who produce uh, tungsten as a byproduct. Right. Um, then the second and third quartiles uh, averages out at about uh, just under twenty dollars a kilo, if you believe Roskill's numbers. And again, right. I okay. think uh, I have no basis for for not. So your co- yeah, so your costs are low. So that's that's good. Costs are low. What's um, what's your resource? We are numbers? in a jurisdiction that's pretty friendly. 
Yeah, Australia pretty friendly. They get they get a huge tick. But what what about your ability to bring to find it and bring it out of the ground and in in, vol, in volume? It's we're going to be mining relatively low volume. This is a, a low volume, high volume, high value product. Sure. We're also going to be producing, um, and one of the reasons why we're so low, low cost is we're going to, also going to be producing molybdenum. Right. Um, okay. About twenty percent of uh, twenty twenty five to twenty five percent, depending on price assumptions, of our revenue comes from uh, will also come from molybdenum. We will produce a molybdenum concentrate and a separate shearlight concentrate. Interesting. Um, and there is, and molybdenum is. Uh, is also something that's uh, got a bit of uh, got a bit of appeal in the last in the last year or so, and um, and I'm told by those who I uh, got by Roskill, but not just Roskill, but those who uh, in the molybdenum space specifically that the demand for for molly uh, is going to be stronger than the supply of molly for the next three to five years. And and for those uh, who don't know the uses, what, what, what's molybdenum? Molybdenum is used in uh, in the grades of stainless steel that are relatively high quality. Right. So the more molly you have stainless steel, the, bit, the higher the quality, the more corrosion resistant it is. Um, uh, other specific, uh, some of the specific applications, oil and gas pipelines seem to use more molybdenum in them than, uh, than, than a bunch of other, than, than, than some other applications. Mm. But, but the really high uh, grades of stainless steel have more moly in them uh, than others. Um, if the price of nickel goes through the roof for other reasons, uh, moly is often substituted for nickel in uh, in the stainless in stainless steel, um, just because it um, <clears throat> it becomes a an economic thing. Um, at a certain level, it becomes more economic to put uh, moly in than uh, than nickel. Uh, Molly is more expensive than nickel. Um, I thought that's probably um, two and a half times the price of nickel, but you you need you use less of it to get the same result in your stainless. Okay, I mean you, you've talked about some some of the opportunities there. Certainly, a couple of catalysts um, with regards to. I mean, what, what are the threats to the business? I, I, I guess e economic climate continues where well, it left off in 2018 um, but w w at the uh, at the highest level is if we can't get the finance the right, okay. uh yeah we've uh, yeah, this that will hurt yeah we have to acknowledge that yeah we're not a and for that purpose reason we're not a one trick pony we uh, do have a uh, a copper project here in south australia that um, is uh, shaping up quite nicely which project is that uh, the kapunda copper project in south australia Right. Do you want to tell us a bit where, about that? Where we have a resource of almost 120,000 tonnes of contained copper. That's about seven or eight hundred million dollars worth in the ground, US. And have you got any? Have you got cash to be able to de develop that? This is uh, this is an into leaching opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's not conventional copper uh, uh, open cut or underground mining. It's a it's a historic copper deposit that was mined uh, 100 150 years ago. Right. Um, and uh, when they took out some extraordinarily high-grade stuff and put it on a boat to, to England for processing um, and left a low-grade halo uh, that, uh, that is suited to, uh, appears so far to be suited to in-situ leaching. Mm -hmm. And the Australian government has given us a, uh, an almost $3 million grant to demonstrate uh, uh, not just proof of concept, concept but uh, feasibility. So uh, 
um, that is basically fully funded through the feasibility. Oh, very good. And when you say fully funded, I mean... Taxpayer, which is very nice. Oh, right. So, so tell us about how does that work in terms of the funding? Um, that's the, the Commonwealth Government has um, funds research activities, and we have engaged with them over the last year or two to, uh, uh, to get some funding to do research for uh, an application that, if it works at Kapunda, should work in a bunch of other what we call stranded copper assets all right. around the globe. Interesting. Um, so when you say fully funded, it's fully funded through to what, precisely? Completion of feasibility. And then it has some book value at that point, presumably. Well, it's got, it, it, it has a certain value now because there is a resource. There is a built compliant resource. Um, but um, if there are inherent risks about, exactly. yeah. uh, about the value of a built compliant resource, it's, uh, once yeah. you get it through to... Um, uh, a demonstrated feasibility study, then it uh, then becomes a a much more valuable proposition. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Now we don't have a hundred percent of this. Um, right. We uh, uh, we are acquiring sixty percent of uh, uh, a company that is acquiring seventy five percent of the project. Sixty percent of a company who is acquiring seventy five. Okay, thanks for doing the maths. Yeah. I've done it several, a number of times on this. It, it's, a, it's early here. That would have been a stretch. Yeah. You've, only had, you've only had one coffee. Indeed. Okay, Okay. so you've got 45% of that project. Um, and when would that feasibility come through? When, when, when does that value get created? It's, it's certainly in the next two years, but it's, okay. well, it's less than two. It's more than one. Got it. Okay, so that's good. So there's some va value coming down the line there. So if we if we come back to Molly Hill, and um, I appreciate the project finance process has started with uh, Arjun in London, um, and I guess Q1, beginning of Q2, you would look to sort of have indications as to um, whether that money is available to you. Let's let's assume it does for the sake of this conversation. I mean, how does that play out in terms of the development time timelines for that? Um, assuming, let, let's say the money is available on July 1, because it's a, let's, it's yeah. a, it's a date. Um, the construction period is 12 months. Got it. Okay. So on July 1, 2020, we should see the first batch of concentrate rolling out of the gate. Okay, so that's pretty yeah. pretty good. If we make that timeline, I'm sure on July 1, 2020, there'll be lots of scrambling around and, and yeah. maybe not a truck departing down the road with concentrate on it, but yeah. it's not that order. Okay. Um, now Look. we have an engineer who says it's, uh, you could probably compress that time frame by a couple of months, but I'm, yeah, let's, let's stick with 12 months for now because we'll get bitten in the bum somewhere. 12, 12 months time, you're potentially in, in, in production. The and, and then what, and what does that start doing for you in terms of contribution to, um, you know, re rev revenue, bottom line, etc.? Look, the first couple of years at Molly Hill are, are extraordinarily strong. The grade is high. Mm. Uh, the stripping ratio relatively low because we um, manage the, the mining that way. Mm. And the first couple of years, uh, we get payback, project payback in the, within 18 months. So, 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 just coming back to that. So, you, when you talk about the project finance, you're looking at what in, entirely debt, or, or are you getting some equity in there, or what's that structure well, look like? There's a. It, it's going to be a mixture. Yeah, we both know that. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, and some of the debt, but some of the debt will come 
we believe from people who want the concentrate that the molybdenum concentrates right. and the sheolite and the tungsten concentrates. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, financing things of that nature is not um, completely foreign to them. They uh, they're not all that quick to drink from the trough, but uh, but they they do do it. Uh, and and these are commodities that. Uh, or particularly tungsten is a commodity that can't be hedged. So, you know, it doesn't, let's not pretend it won't come without challenges. But, but it's, uh, it's, it's going to be more, more conventional finance than any of this, these highly structured leverage finance. Uh, yeah, the, the, the highly structured stuff is, it's, we're going to try and avoid that for as long as we possibly can. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, because it's, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a pretty slippery slope. Yeah, yeah. Um, agreed. Now that doesn't mean um, uh, that doesn't mean we're not open to all sorts of discussions. <clears throat> we obviously have to be. Um, there, where there are, uh, there have been discussions with various people about uh, a joint venture, for example, where someone says, "Well, I want X percent of this project. Um, how much does it cost me to get control?" Well, if uh, uh, yeah, and that is a that is a, a known pathway forward that um, mm -hmm. should we would hope take a lot of the pain and suffering out of the financing. Yeah. Uh, if we were to retain a hundred percent of the project, uh, yeah, there's going to be some debt, but there'll also be there will have to be some form of uh, uh, dilution somewhere along the line. Yeah. You either dilute at the project basis or you delete at the company basis. Right. Okay. So you're going and, to this uh, with your eyes eyes open. Yeah, and you can't, uh, and, and you know, I don't know that for a small company there are too many other options. No, agreed, um, agreed. And, and uh, but there are a number of, there are a couple of people who said, uh, who have registered interest in saying, in <clears throat> in, in having a, a slice of the project. And uh, and for that, yeah, now they, they will take on a, if, if they seriously do, they will take on a serious lump of the, um, uh, the heavy lifting for, for project finance, one would hope. Right, okay. Otherwise, I'm not doing a very good job for our investors. <clears throat> there is that. <laughs> the, the, the investors. Always comes back to the investors. Um, okay, so I understand that. So, so with regards to Molly Hill, you will know, I guess, a little bit more this quarter as to where, where, that, the, where the financing component's going. You've got the team on board who you feel can deliver that project in terms of that development phase and, and uh, we're talking, so. talking 12, 12 months or so, payback 18 months, which is impressive. What was the IRR work out on that then, I guess? Uh, the internal rate of return is about 58%. Plus, plus 50%, that's But it's, uh, it's very price dependent. It, uh, you of course, don't have to of course. do much to the price to knock it back to 30%. Of course. Of course. But uh, <clears throat> well, that's, a, uh, well, that's just a function of the mathematics. But, yeah. uh, uh, the net present value, uh, Aussie dollars, about 100 million um, Aussie, so in US dollars, I guess that's uh, roughly 70, yep. somewhere between 70 and 75, depending on uh, where you call the exchange rate at the moment. So, and I, know, I noticed one other project on here, which was something in Nevada. Is that so still on the books? project in Nevada. Yeah, is that still on the books? Oh, it is indeed. Uh, we are at 100% of it. We're still working. At it, it is the largest known tungsten, reportable tungsten resource in the US. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of larger in uh, uh, in Canada um, that, that are not in that are not currently operational and uh, not in development. But in the US, 
Uh, and the US is polluted with lots of little tungsten deposits all through uh, Utah, Nevada, into California, and probably a few others as well. What's your exposure there? I mean, as in, what's, what's your, what are your liabilities there in terms of money that you need to spend on that, or are you just well, doing anything? Um, the the way the permitting goes for, for in expiration tenements in uh, or, or, or patented and unpatented claims uh, in the US is you don't have to spend any amount, any money to keep them in good standing. You pay an annual rental, um, and so for about for, for less than a hundred thousand US a year, that's we keep the tenements in good standing, even if we don't do anything at all. Now we're right. obviously doing. We're not going down that way. We've got a, uh, we have uh, added to the resource in the last um, couple of years. Um, there are four tungsten deposits all within three or four kilometres of one another, mm. one much larger than the other three. And um, and we've done a scoping study that says it's worth doing through the kitchen sink at it by way of costs and, uh, and pretty awful um, scenarios when, and had limped through that. Um, and uh, it says it's worth doing. We will. We are now doing some work with the environmental agencies on um, <clears throat> on, on permitting. There's mm. uh, some permitting work been done, uh, but there is more to do. And even in Nevada, the permitting process is a minimum of three years. Um, there's uh, there's some work we're doing with uh, some power utilities on the cost of delivering power, etc. And there'll be there will be a uh, small drilling program or two. Uh, there in the next year, where a couple of the inferred resources we want to turn them into indicated resources, so we can get them into the uh, into the uh, into in, into the inventory for uh, uh, for, for feasibility study. So, the hundred percent of the cost borne by Thor. Um, you, are you also exploring the ability of you know farmers and JVs? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Right. Very very happy to entertain those discussions. This has got a, uh, if, if you multiply the number of tons of uh, contained tungsten in the ground with the, uh, the metal prices, over a billion US dollars worth of stuff in the ground right now, there at, in the pilot mount, in the resource. Um, and we've got um, resources on two of the four deposits. It's probably going to end up being at least 50% large. Right, okay. Um, it's quite a tidy sized resource. It'll be an open cut mine for a large part of its life. Uh, at Desert Shearlight, the largest of them. The others will be a mixture of uh, open cut and underground. When will you have sort of further updates as to you know, what you're going to be up to next um, year? When probably you know during more? the third quarter of this year, there'll be some uh, work being, uh, there'll be a, uh, a small drilling program. Mm. Uh, there is some work being done with others. We're having some metallurgical test work done in uh, Guangzhou in, in China. Right. Um, the second phase of metallurgical test work, we demonstrated back more, several years ago that we could produce a saleable concentrate, but not to the level of uh, where you had a costed flow sheet. We're now going back and doing that, doing that work, that work now. Right. Um, okay. That'll take the time it takes. Um, I suspect there's uh, another two or three months worth of work there um, as they uh, try one. So they try one. Uh, reagent and one grind size and um, and then go back and optimize and try another and etc. Okay. This deposit uh, proving a little bit um, tricky and in fact some of the uh, some of the uh, processing that worked quite well five years ago 
doesn't appear to work uh, as well this time around. Hmm. Uh, and so they, they're attacking it uh, from another direction. So, so it's, um, it, it takes a while. It takes a while. So, so, so again, in terms of just understanding where the, the value creation comes in, in terms of timing, as far as investors are concerned, you know, you, you would look to sort of see something what, over the next sort of couple of years on this one? It's a couple of years from feasibility. Uh, the feasibility process will take a couple of years. Right. We would hope uh, within 12 months, in the next 12 months, to produce a pre-fees. Hmm. Um, I think we can do that. But, uh, but a, a bankable job will take, um, uh, it won't be done in that time frame. Just looking through Kapunda um, here, I mean, can you tell us just a little, can you come back and give us a little bit more detail on where you are? And again, answering that question about, you know, where you think the value creation comes in, because obviously you're at a sort of lower market cap, lower share price at the moment. We're just trying to look at, you know, where these um, value creation moments may start having an impact. And is it something that investors should, if they feel confident, will be delivered? should be getting in early at you know, what is currently a heavily discounted price, I guess you would argue. Um, so during the course of the next year, uh, during the course of 2019, we'll be doing a, a fair bit of field uh, recovery work at Capunda, actually uh, pulling copper out of the ground mm -hmm. as part of the process of uh, demonstrating the feasibility. We'll be doing that, that's a stage process. We'll be doing it in one area, um, uh, in the first instance, um, we will um, just be uh, pumping water into one borehole uh, with a dye in it for want of a better usage. So if something isn't going to affect the formation at all and, uh, and isn't going to upset the, uh, the authorities. Uh, and then ensure that you get the flow through from, uh, from one borehole where you pump in to another borehole where you, where you pump out uh, mm. fluids that have... Uh, have uh, dissolved copper in them. Hmm. We've demonstrated that um, with the core we have, we've demonstrated it uh, on a tiny scale. We now have to do it out in the field on a slightly larger scale. And then we'll do a field recovery trial for copper as well. So there'll be some uh, some catalysts there to say, hey, it's still working, fellas. Um, yeah. okay. And this will be <clears throat> this will be extraordinary cheap copper production. Um, you know, the, and if you look at the uh, the resource on the presentation, the grade isn't all that high, but you, you don't want high grade for in situ recovery uh, because uh, it's a surface area thing. Very high grade copper, there's not enough surface area for the uh, for the uh, lixivient to dissolve the copper in in a high grade deposit. You need low grade for it to get it all, or to get you know, or to get a large large uh, portion of it. Right. Okay. There's another project um, held by and a company in Arizona in the U.S. held by a company called Excelsior. Yeah. Uh, called Gunnison. Yeah. Uh, they've uh, done feasibility on this project on uh, producing copper in exactly the same manner we are talking about. They claim that they will produce copper for uh, about two thousand nine hundred U.S. dollars a ton. Okay. That's a um, that's that's a useful parallel. It's quite a bit larger than Capunda. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's an indication that uh, you know, the capital cost um, of an in-situ uh, recovery uh, operation is much, much lower than a standard mining and processing operation. And the operating costs uh, are also quite a bit lower. Yeah, okay, understood. So 
just just in just in summary, um, so we've got sort of the three three projects. Obviously, Molly Hill, which you're looking to get the finance for development sorted in the next three four months. Well, yeah. certainly, certainly some some point by Q two, one would hope, um, and then construct over a twelve month period or construction commission over a twelve month period. You've yeah. got Kapunda. Obviously, you've got some permitting and. Um, to, to deal with and then the pre-fees and bankable feasibility study in, in order. And then the potential yeah. of Pilot Mountain in, in Nevada, where it's a significant resource, which again, you'd, you'd hope over the next 12 to 24 months to actually start generating some and creating some value for um, share, well, shareholders, I guess initially, but also yeah. clearly for the, comp for the yeah. company. I, I think um, if you took it in terms of um when things are ready to uh, <clears throat> generate money uh, organically rather than by project sale or, or, or partial sale, mm. uh, uh, Molly Hill you would be ready to generate uh, money in about 18 months from now. Right. Uh, Kapunda, about two years. Uh, Pilot Mountain, three to four. Okay, understood. Look, um... Mick, thanks very much for that summary. Um, what we'd like to do is um, get a regular update from you as to you know how things are progressing, and be able to tell you know talk people through some of the you know regular activities that you're 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 planning yeah, sure. for this year. Um, and obviously, if you're coming through London, um, it'd be great to hook up with you as well. I get to I get to London about five six times a year, so. Um, um... Fantastic. Plenty of opportunities, yeah. Well, great. It'll be, it'll be right. great, great to see you when you come through. Um, and, like, and thanks for the time this morning. Thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.